0: Speak, O Lord, your servants are listening. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The eighth chapter of John reveals a horrific fissure that occurs between Jesus and his religious kinsmen. It is a cleft so deep and so broad that it has never been healed in 2,000 years. And this fight uh, had to do with the important matter of what could be called family resemblances. Family resemblances. Uh, In scripture, in most of the world, and throughout most of history, um, parentage or paternity was seen as uh, central. Uh, You know, we live with this Americana notion that you are an autonomous self, that you are the creator of your own fate, unencumbered by um, uh, other elements that could potentially constrain or shape. But ultimately, you are the one in the driver's seat of your own life. Uh, The scripture would speak otherwise. Uh, Scripture believes, or affirms rather, uh, that people are something like sculptures that are formed and shaped by uh, artisans and the chief artisans for all of us are our parents, however present or not present uh, they were. Uh, this is why Scripture spends so much time talking about genealogies that we aren't terribly interested in and uh, offering us um, impressive uh, commands. You, you may remember that the first uh, socially oriented commandment in the Ten Commandments, after the ones about God and the Sabbath, is to honor your father and mother. Uh, the connection between parents and children and the shaping that occurs between parents and children uh, is something that is highlighted in most of the world, even if we seek to ignore it um, or diminish it. Uh, This came um, uh, home to me recently uh, in a uh, a poem that somebody had written. Somebody who graduated uh, from uh, a local college, went to this church, has uh, gone on into some, um, into some difficult experiences. And uh, out of that difficulty has written some poetry. And she was writing about uh, the harshness of her father uh, and how she sought to rid herself of his influence in her life. And the poem was really about facial features and how she to this day bears the facial features of her father, so every time she looks in the mirror, she's reminded of him. And she writes this, and I have her permission to share it. She writes, I tremble when I touch my face to feel your bones beneath my skin. And you understand the, the potential pain that's involved in knowing that you have been shaped biologically Ethically, spiritually, psychologically, by other people. Well, John chapter eight describes for us two widely respected uh, parties and their engagement with one, with one another: Jesus and the Pharisees. And the question that they are um, wrestling over is who truly resembles the Great Father who shows what God is really like? Is it the Pharisee party, or is it Jesus and his band? Uh, and so I want to make um, kind of three points in this sermon. Now, uh, John is very difficult to preach because he's not like St. Paul, who, ha- who is part of you know, the German. He's very German in his writing, very organized. John is not like that. He tends to be very circular uh, and, uh, and this is a heated argument, so it's a little difficult to, pre- to preach and parse out, but I'm going to anyway. Um, I'm going to divide it this way. In this text, there is a paternity claim, a paternity dispute, and there are paternity results. Let me talk about those things. But before I get to them, a brief but important excursus. In verses 48, 52, and 57 of this passage, Jesus' antagonists are referred to by the author as the Jews. The Jews. Now, because they're cast in a rather, rather negative light by our text, uh, one could assume that the text is itself anti Semitic, where Jesus is seen in a lovely light and the Jews are seen rather negatively. And if this is what the passage means, that all Jews are negative and all Christians are good, um, uh, that would indeed be anti Semitic. However, the Jews, that phrase in John's Gospel, is a technical term. It's a technical term. It refers to the small group of leaders in Israel who are antithetical to the aims of Jesus. And most of the time, it's a reference to the Pharisees. In John chapter 8, where we find our passage, it's all about the Pharisees. They're mentioned in verse 13. So when this text talks about the Jews, it means the Pharisees. Now, really quickly, who are the Pharisees? Uh, We actually know a lot about them. Pharisees were not ordained clergy. Pharisees were well-educated laypeople who were kind of like religious lawyers. I mean, there's a dream. (laughs) Religious lawyers. I mean, Kyrie liaison, right? Uh, Religious lawyers. (laughs) There were were a number of them. They're not sure how many there were in the time of Christ, but it it would range somewhere between 2,000 and 20,000. Most of them were located around the city of Jerusalem, and they had immense influence over the religious flavors of the day. Uh, And and so whenever this text says the Jews, it means them. It can't be anti-Semitic after all. Jesus was Jewish. His disciples were Jewish. The author of this gospel was Jewish. And so um, we we must remember that anti-Semitism is spit on the face of our Jewish Savior. And so that's not what this passage is about at all. But moving on to the outline, paternity claim. It's an important paternity claim and an interesting one, too, because both Jesus and the Pharisees claim the same father, namely God. Uh, Now, it doesn't start off with God. It starts off as a debate about Abraham. Abraham is the great patronal figure of Israel. He is understood to be uh, the father of that particular race and a man Um, with whom God had established a covenant, an agreement, a treaty, that God would be with and bless Abraham's chosen race. And Abraham became a symbol of divine favor, of chosenness. And so uh, to be a child of Abraham meant that you were on the inside when it came to God. And and so that's why they're arguing that they are steadied in the Abrahamic lineage— And this tends to mean if you're on Abraham's side, you're also on God's side. So when Jesus pushes back, when they say, we're children of Abraham, and he said, not really. If you were children of Abraham, you would do what Abraham did, which is believe in me. And then they said, well, we're really God's children, and he is our father. This is what they say. We have one father, even God. And then Jesus later says the same thing. Verse 54, it is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. So they both claim the same paternity. It's interesting, another author, objective to the biblical text, outside of it, an ancient historian, agrees with them both. He's in favor of the Pharisees and in favor of Jesus. They're both terrific. And they both reflect God to the world. And that author was Josephus, ancient Jewish historian. This is what he says about the Pharisees and what he says about Jesus. It's very interesting about the Pharisees, Pharisees live simply and despise delicacies in diet. Whatever prescribes to them is good, that they do. They pay respect to the elderly. They also believe that souls have an immortal vigor in them and that there will be rewards or punishments accordingly as they have lived in this life. And whatsoever they do in worship, prayers, and sacrifices, they perform them according to divine direction and the cities in which Pharisees are present give great attestations to them on account of their entire virtuous conduct, both in the actions of their lives and in their discourses also. It's nice, right? Then he talks about Jesus. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and also many Greeks. And when, upon the accusation of the principal men among us, Pilate had condemned him to a cross, those who had first come to love him did not cease doing so. He appeared to them restored to life, for the prophets had foretold a thousand marvels about him, and the tribe of Christians named for him has to this day not disappeared. So, Pharisees are great. Jesus is great. Both tend to embody or reflect God to the world to the external eye. This is how it looks. And yet, these parties within a very small part of the world, part of the same religion, and in some ways having a lot of agreement in in terms of theology in that religion, find themselves at odds, that there is a hotly contested um, situation among them. A dispute breaks out regarding the paternity claim. Neither Jesus nor the Pharisees believe that the other bears the family resemblance to God. In fact, they charge the other with the opposite. You don't look like God, you look like Satan. Uh, The Pharisees say, in verse 48, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They accuse Jesus of voodoo, right? Of being animated by dark power. And then they say, and we know you're illegitimate. Like we've heard the stories. Remember, Samaritans are, in the ancient world, um, regarded as, uh, they, well, to be infelicitous, uh, half-breed heretics. In terms of their DNA, they're half-Jewish and they're half-something else. So they don't really count as part of Abraham's line. And they believe some weird theology. The same um, insinuation was given a little earlier in verse 41. You may have picked up on it. They say, uh, the Pharisees say about themselves, but toward Jesus, we were not born of sexual immorality. They're really saying about Jesus is that you are disqualified because you have no father. You have no, you, you don't have Abraham as a father. You don't have God as a father. And we don't even know who your biological father is. So you don't count. And your this qualification shows us that the power you have must come from a dark source. But then Jesus disputes that, right? He says in verse 44, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus says the same thing about them. Really, you're animated by dark power. And here are two proofs. Murder. You have a murderous impulse in you, and you aren't the first ones to have it. It comes from a primeval spiritual source that is very familiar. Um, From the beginning, he was a murderer from the beginning, that is Genesis 3, that the satanic impulse in creation is always toward premature death, always toward killing, always toward um, brutish thuggish murder this happens at the beginning he tempts adam and eve to consume the fruit why so they'll die he interacts the same way though through more hidden means with cain and abel and then later when he's tempting jesus in a rather adam 2.0 situation in the desert he gives jesus a suicidal gesture and temptation how about you go to the highest building you know of and jump off maybe god will catch you you can put on a show so there's a, a, murder, uh, a murderer that is inspiring the, um, uh, the murdering impulse behind uh, the Pharisees. And Moreover, Jesus accuses them of deceit. This is Jesus' primary uh, attack on the Pharisees. He never critiqued the Pharisees for being religious, being moral, being ethical, uh, being concerned for the poor, for tithing, none of it. It was all great and fine and probably good for them. But he was very critical because they did all of those things as pageantry. It wasn't true. It didn't come from their hearts. It came from some externalized (laughs) obligation. And it never flowed from a renewed uh, sense of self. And so uh, the Pharisees and Jesus both dispute the other's claim to have the family resemblance. And then, of course, there's there's a paternity test. Now, my great-grandfather, Roy McWhithy, uh, he, he lived to be 101, and uh, toward the end of his life, in his late twilight years, he discovered cable television. Not great. Not great. He was, wasted many hours in front of that cable television and, and was fascinated by the cultural depravity of the Mari Povich show. Some of you don't know what that is, and maybe you're better off. I think you're probably better off. Uh, it's, it's a show where, really, um, uh, people... Who have lots of problems come on TV to air those problems to the world, and uh, Mari Povich uh, is known for having a show called "Who's Your Daddy," where they do paternity tests and 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 children want to find out who their fathers are, or um, estranged uh, spouses want uh, their um, ex husbands to know that they're really the father of this this child and they need to support them, um, and uh, and and so at the end of the show, Mari Povich is handed. A, a, uh, an envelope. And inside the envelope are the results. And Mari famously says, you are the father, or you are not the father. And then fights break out, and it's marvelous. I mean, terrible. Um, and, um, and so what, um, what happens is Jesus and the Pharisees are given envelopes. Who really has the family resemblance? And both open their envelopes. Jesus opens his very slowly and gives out hints about what's inside the envelope. In verse 42, he says he comes from God. Verse 47, he speaks the words of God. Then he builds on it. Verse 46, he's sinless, and anybody who's saying he's a sinner is lying. Verse 51, his followers won't truly die. And then comes the shock and awe. He says in verse 58, these immortal words, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am quoting from Exodus 3, where God reveals himself in the burning bush to Moses. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, I'm not just Abraham's son. I'm Abraham's parent. I predate Abraham. I am greater than Abraham. I embody the God who spoke to Abraham, and I'm embodying the God who is speaking to you right now. The Pharisees then immediately tear open their envelope to see Their father is, and that father is made known. Happens to be an age-old murderer. Verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him. Murder was their goal. And while that murder uh, didn't occur at that moment, they did eventually accomplish their goal. See, the Pharisees were always deeply offended that Jesus dealt openly with thugs, touched untouchables, and healed on holy days. Um, But they were horrified by Jesus' self-described Himalayan status. This is why they ask him, Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are? Saying the things you say with such sincerity, you must be satanic. Their shock is understandable, because nobody ever said or did the things that Jesus said or did. But the Pharisees never stopped to ask the question, might he be right? Even though it flies in the face of our understanding of Scripture, our own history, it flies in the face of how we understand God's transcendence as removed from this commonplace world, might he be right? Maybe he is the Lord returning to Zion. Maybe God is here with us. Maybe this is Emmanuel. But they didn't. A paternity claim, a paternity dispute, and paternity results this is a rift that has never been healed and the question has to be asked how does this speak to us now i mean so many years later so far away from these uh from from certain religious practices and cultural ideas where does it where does it speak to us how does it address us i want to say quickly that it paints for us a vision a threefold vision that I, that I hope captivates our imaginations and our spirits today. It paints for us a vision of true fatherhood, a vision of true family, and a vision of true belonging. True fatherhood. You know, Blaise Pascal famously said, or was said to have said, uh, that God made us in his own image, and we have returned the compliment. That is, we have pasted on to God's face things that don't belong to God, projecting onto him our negative experiences, often of father figures or authority figures. And this is what the Pharisees did. They took the face of God and pasted things in front of it so that people could no longer see God. This is why, by the way, Jesus is so furious, uh, because they are obscuring God from people. You see, and this is so important, that when we think of God as Father, God is not a Pharisee writ large. Aren't you glad that God isn't like that? Or more personally, I'm so glad that God is not like me. Controlling, fussy, rude, bitter, snarky, capricious, needling. God isn't like us. God is something wholly other who comes to us. Jesus clears away the fog from the whole God question and says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. When you think about God, don't think about abstractions. Think about a human. That's the irony, right? When you want to see God, you look at a person. When you want to see God, you look at Jesus, the great I am. And this is the God of timber and blood and self-giving sacrifice. In other words, God is love, and the Pharisees weren't good at love. And I am glad that the one who embodies the Father was and is never rude, never capricious, never a murderer, and never a liar. Somebody who will always be life and truth for us, and also somebody who is a God of love. And so we get a true vision of what real fatherhood looks like. We also get a vision of family. The Pharisees were claiming Abraham because they believed that they have the right DNA. They were legitimate with God. But Jesus is indicating here in his interaction with them that DNA is not the issue. DNA alone, language, facial features, they don't make you a child of God. It's faith, faith, trust in the self-sacrificial son uh, who is the center of this new family. And anybody who comes to him, regardless of your background or DNA, is most welcome. And he also gives us a new vision of belonging. Jesus was God's eternally begotten son, so he's unique, he's not like us, and yet, while he's ontologically God and we're not, he shares his status as son with us. This is this great gift of adoption that's so present in the Bible. What a gift! That God not only justifies us by grace, but then takes us in and makes us his own, makes us a friend, and more than that, makes us family, makes us sons and daughters. This is why Paul says in Romans 8, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back again into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's how Jesus spoke about God. And now Paul is saying we can say that too. We've been given the gift of sonship. We've been brought near, made a child. Not just a creature, but a child. A son or daughter who can relate to God parentally. This is so good, you know, because whatever your story and whatever your language, your background, your patronage, whatever's on your birth certificate, whatever your personal history, whatever bones you feel underneath your fingertips, you have a better parentage, a stronger, more definitive belonging. To the father who was willing to give the son away for you. I had a friend who lost her father to a very um, aggressive cancer. And she was a new Christian and utterly devastated by the loss of this great man. She really loved him, and he really loved her. She received a postcard in the mail from a friend who had obviously heard about the loss. Very simple postcard. Uh, She still has it in her Bible. And the postcard says uh, these words. Dear Sarah, remember that you are adopted. Love, Mary. Now, what does that mean? It means that you have a Heavenly Father who has taken you in, and He'll never die, and He'll never leave you, and He'll never forsake you, And you have a place of sure and certain belonging. A belonging that can give your life new shaping, a new direction, a new healing, and you can become a new kind of person. It's really true. Because your life is now owned by someone who gave everything away to make you a son, to make you a daughter, to make you belong. I invite us to stand. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, uh, thank you that in this difficult scenario, you offer us a true vision of your Father and our Father. And we thank you that you have expanded the family of the Father to include even us. And we thank you that we have a permanent belonging in the Father's love, secured through hardening grace which has no limit or breaking point please uh, cultivate the father's image within us that we might bear your resemblance well to the glory of your name for the health of the world and we ask this through jesus christ our lord amen